This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You might hear the word insolvency and think companies, but insolvency is just another term to describe serious financial problems for anyone. You could be insolvent if you can't pay your bills in full when they're due. You're paying a little off each bill trying to keep creditors at bay. Or you've had calls and letters about missed repayments and threats of repossession. The Insolvency Service of Ireland, or ISI, has four debt solutions to help people with all levels of problem debt, from credit cards to mortgages. For more information, visit backontrack.ie or free text get help to 50015. The ISI, together, will get you back on track. Welcome to the bloodandmud.com podcast, rugby podcast, your weekly gaze into the often dirty brown water that oozes through our lives and calls itself rugby. I am Lee Calvert, editor of bloodandmud.com, and joining me as usual over there is... Uh, Josh Gardner of rugbyshitwatch.com. Also joining us this week to wade through the sloppy door-door of the weekend, that's a Lancashire word by the way. Um, some say he's known in his tennis club as the man who Fred Perry could have been if he'd worked a cravat a bit harder. It's Rugby World's Mr Paul Williams. Good evening, Paul. Good evening, gentlemen. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. While you're here, Paul, a point of order, your Twitter bio states, and I quote, write for Rugby World Mag, the world's best-selling rugby publication, also featured on BBC Wales and Talk Sport 2. That's it. There's not a whiff of any of your appearances on here on your Twitter bio. <laughs> What's that all about? Well, disgraceful. Yeah, there's, there's <laughs> Anybody would that. think that you wouldn't want to publicise this. <laughs> I'm going to change that. I'm typing it now. I'm changing my bio, bio as we speak. Yeah, I'm only yeah. joking. Who cares? Absolute finest here. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, guests come on our show and we insult them. Right. So. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I wouldn't come on for any other reason. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, you can get in touch with me at Blood and Mud, and then there's Lee at bloodandmud.com, and there's a website and stuff. What about you, Josh? Uh, at Josh Gardner, at Rugby Shirt Watch, rugbyshirtwatch.com. You need the drop on it. What about you, Paul? I am at the Paul Williams. The Twitter. Yeah. 
Like an Adele song, we always begin the same way. She chooses the minor piano chord and something about being finished with, whereas we yeah. we actually start with a player spotted. And this week we've got two. Player spotted, for those you don't know, welcome if anybody is a new listener to us on Acast or Apple Podcasts, uh, is where we ask you to send in any mundane encounters you might have had with professional rugby players or associated persons. First of all, it's Mike Yes slides into my DMs and says, I've got a player spotted for you, not mine directly, but from a friend who doesn't listen to the pod. I wouldn't call him my friend if I was you, Mike. Anyway, he says, <laughs> my friend was stuck in Bristol during the Beast from the East. It's going back a while now, isn't it? And he spotted the Cardiff Blues squad also stranded in Bristol due to the storm. Oh. Then fast forward a few hours to a terrible Irish pub where he spots Gethin Jenkins ordering a Corona and a latte. That's an interesting mix. Isn't it? What do you want to... Yeah, <coughs> which do you drink a... first? Which yeah. do you drink first there? But they're both Latin. Yeah. That is true. That is true. Curdling might occur, though, I fear. Yeah, Whichever you order you drink that in, it's curdling. That's like Bailey's definitely Guinness. Don't, you don't want to mix them without any doubt. Yeah, second one, Ian B gets in touch, also sliding into my DMs, and he says, just before the Calcutta Cup the other week, I was walking with some colleagues to grab some lunch in Edinburgh when one of them asked me if this guy going past us was one of the England team. I looked around, and sure enough, it was your favourite prayer lead, the Bantasaurus himself, Mr James Haskell. They just passed us wearing the largest gold headphones I've ever seen in my life, <laughs> presumably to drown out the sound of being in Scotland. Can I just say that Ian said that? I didn't say that. Ian said that. Not the sound of being in Scotland. That's fantastic. It's very distinctive, let's face yeah. it. I quickly relayed this mildly interesting information to some mates on WhatsApp, waiting to bask in the glory of spotting James Haskell. Sadly, I was immediately trumped of one, as one of them informed me that they'd just seen Nigel Owens in Nando's. Well, that, I mean, that is the, perhaps the most mundane rugby player is, slash yeah. rugby person. It almost doesn't count if you see them in If you sit in Nando's that's... long enough, you're going to see at least 10 rugby players in a, in a, in a yeah, three-hour cycle, aren't you? <laughs> and that's like saying I'm hanging out at a rugby ground and I've seen a rugby player, you know? Yeah. It's like they're, they're, they're just there. Or a tanning salon in South <laughs> Wales. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's exclusively a South Wales thing, though, let's face it. Imagine when um, Reese Webb goes to Toulon. Will he still go to tanning salons? Will he be able to change his behaviour enough? That's interesting. Will he still top himself up? Or, because, you know, you don't want to be out in the sun all day doing yourself harm, you know, getting your, you know, you want a bit of fake it's bacon. It's much better sure. to go into a 15-minute stand-up booth in, over the top of an off-license somewhere, oh, I, isn't it? I always assume he gaffed it up and did a bit of fake bake, to be honest. But Can you imagine him out there, Reese Webb? He'll look like a mahogany clog after about a month. He'll be incredible. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, he's really looking forward to going, though. I, I bet I, he is. Yeah. Wouldn't you he want, wouldn't really we all? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think he's um you know, I think sort of six months ago the the prospect of going was all very much entwined with Welsh rugby and the Ospreys fallout and whatever it was. But I think now he realizes the squad and the system he's moving into, you know, it's uh, I think he's very excited by it all. Yeah, and it's you know, all of the bad stuff has kind of happened now, isn't it? He's, he's gone, the, exactly. He's had the ugly break with Wales. He's had the ugly break with the Ospreys. It, you know, he's basically just gone, fine, I'm just about to go and earn a fuckload of money to go and spend the next three years in the sunshine in the, all day. In the sunshine, Shay. I think you'll find that's pronounced. Exactly. Yeah. Correct, I think he's, yes. He's looking forward, almost, you know, the, the fat of the land is coming, which yeah. is a neat little segue 
Yeah. To what I'm drinking, which is skinny lager. Oh. The opposite of the fat of the land. So I've got, <laughs> I've got a, my last bottle this evening. So I'm cracking it open on this. Is that, that, is that that thing they've been sending all the rugby players that's like beer, but not as quite horrendous for you? That's the stuff. And this yeah. lo- may look like I've shoehorned this in to get another crate of it. <laughs> Surely but not. do not be that naive or cynical. No, it's it's um, simply a wonderful drink. It is beautiful. I think it's eighty calories a bottle. I think, and to be honest with you, our readers do expect our readers, our listeners do expect you to be drinking while podcasting now, Paul. So it's exactly. good that you've kept them in the loop about what your specific tipple is this evening. I think yeah, they, are, yeah, they yeah, almost think are. you're like the world's best well-dressed wino. I think. <laughs> <laughs> do you know? It's so funny you should say that. I'm from a village called Gowett, and, and it, there is a there is a, a gentleman down there who's known as the best drunk, uh, best dressed drunk in town. I won't mention his name. As if people don't know who that is in Gowerton. There's only there can't be more than one best dressed drunk in Gowerton. They're going to know who that is, aren't they? Name or not? Well, it's it's him or me. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on which type of time of day you catch us. <laughs> yeah, he'll be fatter than you though, because you're on skinny lager. Exactly. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Oh, tell you what, eh? Tell you what. Beautiful. There. That's what any good host should do. He just brings us back round to the point <laughs> <Right>. that was. <laughs> any good host and me does that. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was partridge s. Oh well, that's. Hey, with all our motorway services chat on Twitter today and that, that's <laughs> it's partridge turbo. I tell you. Anyway, meanwhile, back at the rugby. Yeah. Shall we have some news? Uh, yes. Saracens are for sale. Well, half of Saracens yeah. is for sale, and apparently yeah. Nigel Ray is going to buy it. He has not much choice in the matter, is he? Because they're basically the, the South African half of the ownership have basically gone, yeah, no, no, thank you. And if yeah. he doesn't buy it, then anybody could. And I think... think he wants a bit more control over that whole process if he does hand it off to somebody else but it's interesting because they're losing what two million quid a year which is an improvement weirdly they were losing five million it's a total consolidated debt of 50 million (laughs) probably yeah do you think they've sacked it off because there is no more wall left to piss money up and they refuse to build another wall well the guy who's the guy who was part of the consortium that or like is the major player in the south african side of the consortium is like the richest man in africa so he's not short of a few bob, and two million quid a year to him probably isn't that Even much. Even he's had enough of how much money he's losing. Well, I wonder if it's less about because you know they are doing down that debt. Like they were losing five million quid a year, like as like three seasons ago, and now it's down to about two, which is still very much not good. But then there's only one team in the Premiership that isn't making a loss every year. So, but you know what? There's a, there's a serious issue outside of. Saracens, you know, even whether yeah. you know whether someone buys them or not, or whatever happens, right? You know, if you're running at that level of debt, the influence that you have on wage inflation throughout the whole of rugby is massive, mm-hmm. and it has been since that influx of cash came in. And you could say the same thing about Toulon. Yeah. So, you know, it, and it, it's very <clears throat> difficult. Almost seems quite difficult to chat about it if you're Welsh, because everyone's seen to in Wales to hate Saracens and everything they stand for and they've sucked players out of everywhere and they you know they've bought a squad like Man City have and Man United sort of have in the past. But the reality is that if you're running at a loss like that, 
you're playing with wage inflation willy-nilly because it doesn't matter. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it, it's affected everybody. You know, it's dragged everyone into that game. You know, you, even if you look at Exeter, a side that's run so well and so professionally and within, I'm not saying people have, well, I'm not going to say it publicly, that people have been outside um, the salary caps and the bans, but they exist and they are successful within that. And mm. Saracens have been, and um, outside of that, largely, you know, even if they have played within those bands, which I'm not saying they haven't, but <laughs> they've they, they, a lot of money up the wall. They've they? inflated wages massively. Okay, um, and I think that with a bit of luck, this will bring down their operating losses and it'll bring down the amount of money that they think they can just splash and like you say piss at the wall because they're not just pissing their money at the wall they're sort of pissing on the wall of rugby so they could do with coming down just a few hundred thousand pound a year in terms of spending yeah i think it'll benefit rugby in wales england scotland ireland and france actually well ultimately if nigel ray does take on the whole thing now you know He's a very rich man, don't get me wrong, but he's only, his net worth is only 250 million. That's not pocket changed, you know. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's doing all right, but still. But, yeah. bankro- but bankrolling Saris for the next five or 10 years, losing, you know, between two and five million quid a year. Yeah, and the other that's, that's going to pick a big old chunk out of that. I don't think anybody gets involved in this to make money, do they? Nobody buys sports teams no. to make a shitload of money. I think, you know, they are seen as something to have. You don't want to. So I think people accept they're going to lose money. I think it's more about status and being involved in it and having mm. success for something that you want to that you want to do. But I think Paul's point is a is a good one, and also the the wider point that at some point there's only so I don't know are there only so many rich men and it usually is men. Let's be honest who mm. who who are willing to prop this up. Because yeah, unless you've got a regular, you know, turnover of people who are willing to one have got this much money and two are willing to lose it. Then, in well, terms of a sport, we're in really fucking serious trouble. And, and, and four you know, of the twelve clubs in the Prem are for sale. You know. Yeah. And I think that's, for sale. London Irish are for sale. That's um, an important point. You know, rich people don't get rich by. I'm on blood and mud now. I can say it. We're like spunking money, right? <laughs> you don't. You don't get rich by being like that. And I think no. even if it becomes your plaything for five to ten years, eventually you realise that you're not getting back what you thought you were going to get. And the enjoyment wears out. And, you know, after you've won a couple of European, which is probably what's happened, you know, after you've won a couple of European Cups mm-hmm. and a couple of league titles, what else is there to do, you know? And you're, you're running at a loss, a massive operating loss. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And the repercussions on that league will be pretty big. And also there's, there's you know, particularly from a Saris point of view, there's this whole angle that, you know, I think you were talking in your rugby world column and we chatted on the pod a couple of weeks ago about this whole thing about, you know, the All Blacks effectively, you know, buying a share of Quinns or whatever and setting up Quinns as a feeder club, you know. They were, Saris were ahead of their time in that regard because, yeah, you know, that were. was basically what the plan was when that South African consortium took out that big stake in Saracens was that it was going to be this sort of place where Springboks could go and play for you in you and earn European money while sort of having retaining like close links to South Africa and close links to the box. And in reality, because of probably the absolute shit show that is the politics of South African rugby, it didn't pan out that way. And it's almost like they've gone, well, you know, we've won some stuff, but we're not actually doing the, you know, we got into this to effectively sort of help Springbok rugby and help the Springboks continue, you know, 
hold on to their best young players, and and that's not happened at all. There's a lot of South Africans that still play for Saracens, but none of them are playing for the box. And yeah, that's part of it as well. But it'll it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I think like, it's hard. It's hard to decide what this means. It it doesn't look good. I just said because a few of them are for sale, and the losses are so big, you do worry of this. What. You do wonder this is the thin end of the wedge for what's actually coming for the sport, but that could be yeah. seen as a hot take. So let's see what happens. So well, there you be go. Yeah, will will the most is the if they can't sell the most successful club in Europe over the last five years to a new investor, then what the hell hope has anybody else got? And on that, <laughs> on that, and on that beam of joy from a <laughs> is a, the, the uh, what else we got this news wise. Uh, Speaking of joyful things, because he did create some joy, Juan Martin Hernandez has retired literally about 10 minutes or something before we started recording yeah. this podcast. Weird Paul, player, Hernandez, well, isn't What he? do you think? What, what's your view? Now, I, I might think I might know the answer to this, but what's your view of Juan Martin Hernandez and his legacy? Right, this will be probably a little bit contentious because he was a fantastic player, but one of those, again, largely because he was playing in you know for Argentina, but didn't quite find his position... And mm. this won't be very popular because he was, you know, it, it's really rare. Let's compare it with James Hook, okay? Test class at 10, 12, had played 13 and 15 as well. And it's really weird because when you end up with a career like that, you end up as being, wide, you know, sort of widely appreciated, but you yeah. never get that sort of niche appreciation. So you never end with end up with that. He was the be- one of the best tens of three years. He's one of the best twelves because he was moved around so much, and not just with Argentina. You know, every club he's played in, he's so versatile. Yeah, they're, they're almost like, um, you know, when they used to talk about supercars and then they boosted up to hypercars. They, <laughs> they, you know, those guys are almost like sort of hyper utility players. So you get those utility backs who can play sort of three positions and they became like hyper utility players who were test level at three or four positions. He's an amazing player. And I just wish, uh, you know, I, I wish he'd been been picked at 12 for most of his career because he was fantastic. You know, he was defensively sound, but his impact on the game has been fantastic. And, uh, you know, yeah, proper, particularly for the Pumas, a real legacy player. Mm. He's, um, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? He's one of those ones, and you mentioned Hook makes you think the same. One of the greatest sort of insults that's damning with faint praise that's come out about players like that in rugby recently is that people say things like, oh, he was very, very talented. Yeah. And that's like, and that, that's the end of it. Do you know, it's yeah. nobody's like you said, but they don't no. say he was a fantastic 10 and he did this. It's, he was a very talented yeah. player. And actually, that should be an incredibly. A uh, big, huge compliment, but actually, it tends to not be. It tends to. It's like there's an unspoken but when everybody says exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, and it's almost like I was saying there. They need. They almost need a new title. They yeah. almost need like, you know, those guys. You know, there were a lot of players in the eighties and nineties who shifted positions because the game was so unspecialized that you could play ten, mm. eleven, twelve. It didn't really matter. But they are like hyper utility players. You know to. To God, to play those positions at test level is ridiculous. You just look at the way, God, I don't know. When you last weekend, for instance, right, Rico Iwani is a, a classic example. Switched him from the best wing in the world, right, right for my money at the moment. Switched him to twelve. He looked like me. <laughs> right, honestly, is you know his defence is all over the place. He wasn't. He didn't know which channels guys were coming down in. 
And but you look at guys like Hernandez and Hawk, and you know they're able to. You know those guys have played test level there, 15, 20 yeah. caps at twelve and fifteen and ten. They're special players who need a, a new term, really. And True. let's not forget, like while he never, he never really hit. Like there was always a sense that he was like the one who was going to lift Argentina to be like the you know to the heights that everybody kind of wondered maybe they could achieve. And he never really quite did that. But, like, sort of 2007 to, like, 2009 era, like, A, he absolutely bossed that World Cup yeah. uh, in France. He was fucking incredible. He was incredible in that tour, yeah. That was when he was at and... his full, like, incredible outside-of-the-boot screw kick best and all that stuff. It was just Oh, it's, the man could spiral kick like an absolute motherfucker. And, <laughs> like, and he could drop goals off both feet, which, I mean always amazes and baffles me and he looked like a thin jack black there's a lot to be he said did. for that yeah but i think the problem is with him that he has spent the last four or five years being genuinely insane whenever he takes the field <laughs> yes. and every time he comes on for argentina you genuinely have no idea what's going to happen because he doesn't like you said about him being world class at like three or four different positions he now plays like he doesn't know which position he's actually playing yeah, i know and yeah. yeah i mean it's entertaining but, but you know, do you know the other big accolade I think for Hernandez is that he did all you know he was a prit I don't mean pretty physically although he's a very good looking man but I mean particularly pretty in terms of the way he played hmm. during a time when rugby was really ugly and kicked on yeah. you know he he sort of existed in the Mornay Stain era you know where goal kicking and line kicking was everything and up and unders were you know it was it was almost it was easier not to have the ball you know 2007 yeah. do you remember Bram Van Straten oh yeah oh, South Africa oh. outside half he was about 16 and a half stone wasn't he just oh, awful <laughs> He, there was, we go. He, he was like a head with boots on, basically. And to be to have been a baller during that period was yeah. um, was quite an accolade, you know. Yeah, and I do think he did. Um, we were talking before we came on, mate, Josh, about that money ball thing. He, I think he was overvalued because he looked so pretty. People always assumed he should be better because he looks so good. I think that's something that works maybe against him. Really, people expected more from him because he looks like he should have done more, perhaps. But anyway, what genuinely, he's not a player anymore. Forget, I'll say that for him. Oh, I think no. that that's a hell of a legacy. People always remember who Juan Martin, Juan Martin Hernandez was. Absolutely, and he's one of those players who occasionally sneaks into a discussion about world's best fifteens. Yeah, you know, every now and again, you might get the odd one to go, "Oh, you know, you can stick Hernandez there." So, um, particularly on a bench. So, yeah, fantastic career, undoubtedly. Last one quickly because we've spent a lot of time on news here. Uh, Wayne Pivak is has been informally consulted about the Wales job. Is that right or something like that? That is the the talk coming out today, which is interesting because just last week, um, Wales Online were effectively saying that while they like the WRU, like that Wayne Pivak is considered by so many people to be the favourite for the Wales job, they literally don't want him anywhere near it. They want Dave Rennie 100% is the man in the hot seat for the next Wales coach. And basically, they're just happy to let people talk about Wayne Pivak because it looks good for Welsh rugby that the coach of the most successful region is in the frame to be the next Wales coach because that's kind of how it should be. But in reality, 
they don't want him anywhere near it. Not because he's a bad coach, but because it's, you know, it's a political minefield and has proven to be on many occasions over the years, picking a club coach with loads of existing relationships for the big jobs. So, yeah, it's interesting. I wonder, you wonder if that's just the WRU enjoying letting that sort of stuff leak out a little bit to sort of make people feel like he is still in the frame or maybe he is still in the frame. You know, it's it's there's a lot of very weird, muddied things coming out at the moment about it. And I don't really know what to believe. Does anyone know what a timetable for appointment is? Because I don't. No. Do you have any no idea. idea of when they're going to appoint anyone? No. No idea. I mean, it is. No, I mean, it's, but... it's going to be. I mean, we're not going to go into it now, but it is going to be quite a seismic shift, isn't it? Whatever you think of Gatland, I mean, somebody in charge for that long, it's going to be quite Massively. a change when it comes in for everyone. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a Wenger esque yeah, style true. shift. Yeah. You know, it's a. I don't know how long he's been there. Probably twice as long. <clears throat> and. You know, I think from a Welsh point of view, weirdly, as much as I'd love Wayne Pivak to be in charge of the Welsh team, because he's done such a great job, mm. I think Dave Rennie would do as good a job without disrupting one of the, well, the best region in Wales. So it's it's coming from a Welsh point of view, which it's a really difficult situation because, you know, Dave Rennie's coming with something that isn't going to affect the Welsh regions. Whereas if Wayne Pivak comes out of the Scarlets, he's probably going to take everyone with him. So Steve Jones will come out of there, you know, and, uh, you know, um, and, and everyone else underneath. So it's, it's, a, it's a weird situation. And it's not something I've ever really contemplated before that when, you know, regional rugby is, is only just settled and it's only just yeah. starting to settle with just two of the teams. And maybe not appointing PVAC would be a good thing for regional rugby as a whole, as much as I think he'd be fantastic. So it's a really difficult situation. Well, the other thing is is that he's he's got a contract until the year after the he's contracted until twenty twenty. So technically, they'll have to sort of buy him out of that as well, which probably complicates matters a bit as well. Well, we'll see. Mm. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. Finally. And in the news this week is that Nigel Owens is now a political commentator. Yes, he is. He was given a column in Wales Online where he did it. He discussed Brexit. Yes. Now, regardless of what I, I'm not going to get into, what his views on Brexit are, because I don't think that will be a good idea for either you, me, or anybody <laughs> listening to this podcast. But the point is, is that surely we've reached peak sort of Nigel superstardom now, when actual column inches in a political newspaper are given over to his view of things not political newspaper and newspaper is given over to his view of things yeah and this is the, literally the same day that he came out with a uh, a, vid, a bizarre like PSA public service announcement video that he'd done for the department of work and pensions encouraging young people young people to save for their retirement instead of spending all their money now which i again you he's like an all-purpose do- star isn't he <laughs> It is you need like... somebody to do comedy in Welsh, you need somebody to do DWP, public announcements, you need political commentary, you need rugby refs, you can do everything. Like, He's incredible. So I, think that, like, I like Nigel a lot. So I enjoy I. Nigel. So I enjoy I. Nigel. He's an excellent ref. and I, I don't, don't think object... he's been very well advised. No, I don't object to athletes using their platform to share their views and beliefs on whatever it is that they, they choose to do so. But I do feel like he's stretching himself. It feels like on the back of him having a shall we say, an interesting performance 
in the Champions Cup on Saturday in the Munster Too Long game. And then on Monday morning, he's appearing in adverts for the DWP and doing columns about Brexit. Like, he can do what he wants, I suppose. But I just think it's, yeah. it's not the best... <laughs> It's not the best look in the world. He just right. seems where the best ref on the planet seems more interested in extracurricular stuff than right. Games. Now I'm going to take I'm going to take issue with this. Go yeah. <laughs> let's go right because I always think it's really unusual how referees can't exist outside their little bubble. <laughs> right. So I and it it's almost like a societal comment. So you would never say that of. Um, a teacher or a um, rugby writer or a, whatever it might be, or someone who works in IT, you're not allowed to have any opinions on anything else. And and also in your job, I don't really want to listen to what you think about your job or say anything about your job. It's a really weird role that referees have. They live in this really highly persecuted... Referees, right, almost seem to have less human rights than men or women <laughs> or transgender people, or anyone at the moment. If you're a referee, if you're a referee, you're not allowed to be anything other than, and you're not even allowed to be a referee, really, on the pitch, because everyone hates you. <laughs> so so I've got a slightly different opinion of it, and it, weirdly, I think, and I'm not awfully liberal, I'd say reasonably central, I suppose, but <laughs> it's, it's really unusual that referees aren't allowed to have like lives outside of their jobs. Um, and I find it weird, and particularly with Nigel, I suppose, because he's so affable and, mm. you know, he does have this personality outside of his job. But in any other profession, you're allowed to have a life and an opinion and a comment. But as a referee, you're not allowed to have that. That's my I, thought. I know I know nobody will agree with that, but that's just what no, I think. No, I actually do agree with you up to I, a point. I'm glad, I'm glad he's got other stuff going on. And, I'm, and actually, he's, he's a nice enough guy and a good enough person, and, you know, in my opinion, a decent enough personality to carry it off as well. I just think that it's almost like he's saying yes to everything now. And it's almost like he, somebody should say, just have a think about what you put yourself out there doing now, Nige. And I think well, that'd be true a of everybody. Thing. Yeah. yeah, you know, that's yeah, like I think, picking a bad it, pantomime. But, yeah. you know, I well, think, I think referees have got to be allowed to have Massively. an existence right. out, outside their job. It's a really yeah. weird bubble. Well, otherwise, we all say it's a boring. It. We always say it's a boring sport if people do nothing but give, yeah. you know, media-trained answers also, and stuff like that. Also, so. every single one of us sitting here around these microphones today <laughs> is doing something that isn't... We're fucking nattering on about something that isn't our technical day job, you know. I'm bad at my actual job. <laughs> this, is, this is you know this is uh, this is another thing i'm not very good at so it's just, you know i'm doubling up speaking well, i of... think that's probably where it comes from with noise is that like he does so much stuff like outside of his remit and there's so much you know the tv stuff and the speaking stuff and now the writing stuff and I, like i don't think anybody would begrudge him doing a bit of that on the side but he's got to then be like it's almost like he's got to then be white like he's got to still remain head and shoulders the best ref in the world and not he also gives people a lot a lot of ammunition for if he starts if he has a bit of a dip which everyone has but it's the perfect ammunition to say oh well the reason why that's happening is because you're too busy writing newspaper columns about but anyway well while we're talking about refs doing other stuff um, I thought that this would be an interesting time to have a look at, could we think of any other refs who quite fancy doing extracurricular things to pick up on Paul's point? Because, yes, I agree, Paul. Maybe they should do something else. So yeah. we came up with some, I've come up with some ideas of what I think people could do. I think John Lacey 
Yeah. Could front God, a, here we go. could front a YouTube channel <laughs> where he builds Meccano and explains yeah. it in intricate detail. Yeah. And then obviously the entire structure would collapse at the end. And it <laughs> and it'd freeze and it'd freeze frame with him looking baffled. That'd be the end of every episode. Or yeah. or he could work for an agency that provides work that provides work for people in corporate settings whose job it is to walk into meetings looking confused to disrupt yeah. negotiations. Or whether, like a, a, a trade union could hire him, for example, right, John, you come in at 25 past four doing that face you do and, then, and, it, and it'll break up like, you know, the row that we're having and we can adjourn. Really I yeah. love that. I thought, I thought maybe uh, Alan Rowland could um, do one of those, you know, those workplace safety videos. He could do like a workplace safety video on like correct lifting technique, you know, <laughs> bend at the knees, no jerky movements, don't go over the horizontal. Um, Wayne Barnes could do a little PSA on like youth lingo for parents with a focus on the appropriate amount to refer to someone as mate. And the answer is all the time, obviously. See, I've We're got Wayne Barnes. French now, of course. Not talking French now. I thought Wayne Barnes could go freelance as a full-time giver of thanks because he likes to say thank you, doesn't he, to people for listening to him. So he could be hired for, like, weddings to do the greeting yeah, line, funerals for the flowers, Brilliant. charity Love events. He, he could go around every person at charity events and say, thank you very much for sitting down there. Thank you for that bid. Thank you very much for listening to the auctioneer. He could do all of that. Pascal Gozer could put his ex- excessive blowing skills, who were not that one, to skills as a horn tester. Nice. Oh, but the risk, but the, but the risk of that is, is that obviously you might get horn testers lung. Oh, wow. And also nice. the, the madness might set in working around horns. <laughs> is that a real thing? Horn testers. Have you not lung? seen that Laurel and Hardy episode where Ollie goes no. mad because he works in a horn factory? It happens. I take all my medical advice from Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> Any more ref stuff? Um, I just thought purely apropos of nothing because just look at him. I thought it. I thought Marius Petrea could like write for like Garner's World or something about the best time to plant your tomatoes. <laughs> he, has got, he, has got, he has got that face on him, hasn't he? Yeah, like late spring somewhere where they get around eight hours of sunshine. If you're interested, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. See, we go the extra mile on this podcast. Oh, yeah. We don't just oh, take yeah, the piss. People. We give you genuine tips for your garden. It's the detail yeah. I love. That's just, why I come you, on. You don't get. Gardner, you don't get this Gardner shit on the podcast. Name, Gardner by nature. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, should we talk about what we've learned from last... We're, actually, you know. we're only about four hours in, we can start talking about the weekend's rugby now. Yes. Um, what do we learn from the weekend? Go on, go, Josh, you can start. Um, I learned that Ireland have quietly sort of become the New Zealand of the North in more ways than one. Yes, they have. Can you remember any European team producing the concentration of talent that Ireland are currently churning out at a seemingly unstoppable rate like and not just talented players either but talented like terrifyingly young players shit with this players. shit hot players who, who, <laughs> who have this winning mindset and who don't crack under pressure on big stages like when you look at the players for Leinster and Munster on the weekend who are under 25 who are fucking bossing those games it's it's remarkable stuff that's one of the things I said I learned for the weekend linked into that was that this Leinster squad, imagine how fucking terrifying this Leinster squad are going to be in about three seasons' time if they all oh stay God. fit. It's unbelievable. It's just, you know, forget about it. And now Saracens can't afford to buy them either. So, they, <laughs> so they, they will be there. But you're right, you know, you look at Levy, right, on the weekend. He's their third choice. Oh, so staggering. Right? And... 
you know, the way that boy played, and these weren't sort of like, you know, Jamie Heaslip was a, a really good player, but, you know, he, he like Scott Higginbottom, sort of like the outside, like to wait on the wing for the, yeah. right, the easy carry of now and again. But you look at Levy in the weekend, it was fantastic. You know, he was doing his proper open side play yeah. in and around the ruck and waiting for lazy ruck guards not to be there and then just pouring through the back of the gate. It was amazing. I was so impressed with him in the weekend. And, you know, John, Josh van der Fleer and uh, Sean O'Brien, they've got to take that shirt off him now. I'd be, you know, Cullen, if, if I was Cullen, that shirt is his until oh, someone else so. until someone else tells me otherwise, you know. Well, not just Leo Cullen, but but Joe Schmidt as well. Like there is absolutely no way that I would give Sean O'Brien that shirt back without massively. I'm like Dan Levy, Jordy Murphy, Sean O'Brien, Reese Ruddock, Josh Van der Fleer, Jack Conan. That's <laughs> that's just Leinster's back row. About options. six of them would have started for England in the sixties. Yeah, that's what, and that's without yeah. Reese Ruddock. Yeah. yeah. Who is yeah. Very good. Four seasons ago, Rich Ruddock was, you know, the big thing in Irish rugby. Well, maybe five seasons ago. And now he's a sort of middling squad player. It's it's remarkable. Yeah. And and that's without you factoring in, you know, all these good centres they've got, you know. Fucking hell. Like, Leinster have got four test centres. They've got Henshaw, Lachlan, Noel Reid and Gary Ringrose. Like, that's... And Munster have got a couple of test centres as well. Munster have got about seventeen test centres. But you know, I will t- I will say this as as much as we're sort of eulogising about Leinster. Mm. If there's one team that can beat them away, it is the Scarlet. Well, they've done it before, haven't they? Right, and you know there there are I can't if I can't think of another team set up in European rugby who can win with very little possession. Mm. The Scarlets are always good for at least one counter-attack try, and more more than often two. So that'll be a fantastic game. I know everyone's written the Scarlets off away, but that isn't a foregone conclusion at all. I think I'm baffled as to how... I know, you know, don't get me wrong, what Leinster did to Saracens on the weekend was incredibly impressive. You know, Saracens looked very ordinary for... And they just you know, had they, most of the ball, though, didn't they? Yeah, they had most of the ball, and did, they looked incredibly ordinary with it. Well, they've got an eye on jobs.com, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> but when you think about, like, I mean, part of it, I think, is ignorance of the Pro 14 and all of this stuff from the wider rugby world. But, like, yeah, the Scarlets are, you know, the Scarlets are like the ultimate quick strike kind of go the length team in Europe at the moment. You know, they will score more sort of instantly balls off turnover than, than probably anybody else. And and they and they've done it. They did it with fourteen men last year. <laughs> you know, this Leinster team are better now than they were then, don't get me wrong. But this Leinster team can beat the European champions with Mumra the Ever Living at playing at twelve. <laughs> and the thing is your point about Scarlet is a good one because if they do put him at twelve again, I find, basically he was up against Brad Barrett, who's basically a traction engine. Whereas uh, yeah. I fancy Hadley Crash Parks having to get a bit more joy out of her uh, on the thing, where I think. Yeah, Brad Barrett, who was at basically. Did you say Hadley had... Parks? Yeah. <laughs> hey! Oh, he's my dropped man. his skinny lager, everyone. I'm going to change my pants. I'll be back in a minute. He's switch- he switched to the full fat. While we're on Brad Barrett, by the way, did you see yeah. the huge amount of memes that were being made about the fact that he went and got a plate put in his face last week and then oh, played on God. Saturday? Now, okay. actually, fair play to him, right? 
Absolutely. Fair play to I wouldn't him. fucking do that. However, have we learned nothing about rejoicing in the fact that people like almost act against medical advice? I'm not saying that's what he did, but you know, rejoicing in the fact that you have an operation one week, then play a game of rugby the next week. If that's what we're going to value, I do worry about where that leads. I'm a bit, a bit, I'm a bit too miserable. No, I totally agree. If no, I have, I've... if I have metal put in my face, I don't leave the house for twelve months. <laughs> that's yeah. my. That's how I feel about life. <laughs> if I have metal put in my face, it better be one of those big hip hop style grills that's that sort of. You know, that's, yeah, that's if I have only... metal put in my face, I would look like Jaws from James Bond. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair play, Jim, though. Where were we? Right, so. Oh, what we, so we learned from the weekend that, yes, Leinster and Ireland generally are absolutely amazing. But what I also learned, and I think a few of you might have some of this, is that Josh, Welsh rugby, by and large, it's not going so terribly, is it? And certainly this weekend. Christ, he nearly smiled. He did. Yeah, I mean, right, right, people can't see Josh's face when they're listening to this. I can. He nearly smiled. Nearly. I mean, it might have been a full smile if either of the Welsh teams winning this weekend had been ones I liked. But um, oh, that's true. Yeah. But I mean, I think certainly, I, I wasn't shocked that the Scarlets won on the weekend. I kind of expected them to do so. I'm sorry but to I see think... Larachelle go. Yes. I wish he hadn't had to be between one of those two I w- from a pure rugby point of view. Them go in a way that was so un La Rochelle like. Yes, you know? indeed, yeah. It's like I wanted that game to be, you know, a super rugby score and both teams, but it, obviously European knockout rugby, that's not how it works. But um, I think the sort of one that's gone under the radar a little bit this weekend as a result of that, Danny Wilson and Matt Sherratt deserve massive credit for the job they did tactically, um, the Blues did on Edinburgh. That's Edinburgh. Like, the Blues have been playing very good, like, really good attacking rugby over the last couple of weeks, but I don't think many people expect them to go to Mere side and, and just basically put on a sort of tactical kicking, spank the leather off it sort of masterclass, courtesy of Evans and Gareth Anscombe. Like, neither of the coaches are going to be there next year. Sherratt's going to the Ospreys, Danny Wilson is off to Wasps but they're still working their asses off to kind of get something out of this season with the Blues. And and it's a fucking fantastic, you know, as much as winning away at Edinburgh probably wouldn't have been that impressive, you know, a season or two ago. You know, Richard Cockrell's turned Edinburgh into a serious outfit this year, and I don't think many people expected them to do what they did, and, and more power to them. What did you learn, Paul? Or anything to add to that? You know, we yeah. The one thing I learned from this weekend is that goal kicking still really matters, mm. right? And it, and it's the Scarlet in particular because you know the Scarlet played fantastic rugby all season, you know, based on tries and um, you know sort of high scoring game. Yeah. And Lee Halfpenny was so instrumental to winning that game. But the big game was when the Blues played the Sharks, right? So they they finished with six tries each. Right, and the Sharks ended up with a twenty-point winning margin because, <laughs> right, which so think of think how crazy that is. Right, so they six yeah. tries each, and they lo- the the Blues lost by twenty points because they the um, Sharks kicker was thirteen from thirteen. Boom, I'll do it. Right, and you know I know rugby's changed. You know we were chatting about Morningstar staying earlier when kicking ruined rugby when it was rugby but <laughs> goal kicking is so important you know well and uh, we just look at that game it's remarkable well also you know like you're saying half you know people have been kind of grumbling about 
halfpenny this season since he signed for yeah. the Scarlets about how you know he's attacking. He hasn't turned into Liam Williams overnight and and all this sort of stuff and and how he, you know and there are still obviously sort of flaws to his game in an attacking sense, but that's why the Scarlets signed him. Exactly. Because you know they get to a knockout game in European rugby and he you know kicks whatever it is six or seven of eight kicks mm. or whatever nineteen points and they win the game. They don't win the game without him probably, and that's you know you can't put well you can put a price on that because they're probably paying very handsomely for him. But you know <laughs> that that's why you need that player in your team who can. Exactly. Be that sort of 80 90 percent goal kicker when it gets to that sharp end of the season and that, that, you know that's the the scarlet's aim is to be at this kind of stage of of the champions cup every year they need somebody like that in their ranks who's going to win them games off the tee yeah and i think it'll be interesting next season now because the scarlet you know it's been publicized today that they've signed um blumkies from yeah. uh, the cheaters so you know he's technically a fullback or you know he can play wing but you know, where do you put Lee Halfpenny on the pitch then? Mm-hmm. Because you you know you've got to have that kicker. Reese Patchell kicking is good, but he's a sort of 70, 75 percent kicker. You know, Lee Halfpenny sort of 80, 85. So it, you know the Scarlet are um, they're lining up all their ducks perfectly for next season. Yeah, it'd be interesting because obviously they're losing Burn, they're losing Barkley. Those are two massive losses. Mm, but yeah. They're recruiting interesting players to to fill those voids. I think interesting in a, in a good way. In that, a they seem to be going after they're sensibly going after some of the better South African players from the Cheetahs and the Kings because it makes sense to you know you've got this resource in the Pro 14 now of, of them playing in the same league. You might as well it, it becomes all the more attractive. And yeah, it, it's it's an interesting tactic that they're doing but I'll be, intri- it'll be intrigued to see how it pans out long and you know to go, back, to go back to Lee's original point about Welsh rugby you know yeah. how successful it's been for me right it's just made April and May relevant again right normally I'm just yeah. looking at what linen stuff I can buy and it's going to match my <laughs> other stuff not that you right? stop doing that you're just not just not doing that yeah yeah. yeah, let me correct myself. I never stop doing that. But it comes out of the wardrobes, <laughs> right? And then different pocket squares get matched with different things. But now, you know, you, April and May are relevant again for Welsh rugby. It's, I, you know, it hasn't been like that for at least seven to eight years. I so think that, uh, that on top of the week in which the, um, the WIU board made its decision and the break of the funding to the premiership and... Yeah, the thing is, you we could argue, you could probably happening. argue about that forever with numerous different people. But the fact is, is that it's a decisive change. If yeah, nothing things else, are, things are happening, and Whether it was quite frankly, or Ill. quite frankly, it was a burning platform. There was no way you could carry on doing what you were doing. So basically, it's a, it, it had to, it had to change. So actually, it almost seems like at the end of this week, there's there is quite a bit of. Whisper it, uh, Josh, but hope around, maybe. We'll maybe. see. Maybe. We'll Christ, see. he smiled again then. I saw <laughs> that then. It's <laughs> the reason that, because the Ospreys have absolutely nothing left to play for this season, is that why I bought my first ever pocket square this week, Paul? Is that what happens when you've got nothing? What are you going to accessorise that with? You exist in hoodies and and, and t-shirts. I do not exist in hoodies. I I exist in flannel shirts and t-shirts. Thank you very much. And it might infect you eventually. (laughs) Yeah, well. What else did we learn this weekend? Tell what I learned this weekend, right? Francois Tranduc is on fire. (laughs) And if by fire you mean borrow time before Boujalal 
castrates him, then yes, he's he's on fire. He had one fucking job to do, didn't he? Get it off the fucking field. <clears throat> several times, several <laughs> times he had that job to do. But the thing is, he played a good part in Ashton's try, and he did some yeah, good things. Yeah, and he, he did put a load and... of shape on him and sensibleness on them. He's had a word sense on them when they came when he came on, and then and they set it up for him. Perfect, lovely drive. Yeah, here you go, armchair catch, Francois. Yeah. Oh, for it, fuck's sake! Fucking close head, mate. <laughs> no. Oh, Having said that, he, and it, I mean, he can't be completely absolved from blame because the defensive effort went... I mean, he's rapid, Conway, and fair play to him, but the, he it was, never should have got through there. It's almost it was, as if I think all those but, four people on that side went, oh, this ball's going out, and almost switched yeah. off like that. And then when yeah, they didn't go out, they, they, they kind of went, oh, shit, and, and just couldn't... It's amazing how that mental part of you get... It's that play the whistle thing, isn't it? You know, when sometimes a ball goes on the floor and you kind of go, oh... But you forget the whistle hasn't gone, sort of thing. Yeah, and and it's it was massively that because you know they, you, as you can see that they had just kind of switched off and they were, you know, basically chatting among themselves, talking about. So it's over. Was basically checking his Instagram, I think. When, when yeah, they running back at it. But then when they when there was that collective realization that oh fucking hell he's coming at us. <laughs> oh, he's gone past us. Oh shit! <laughs> not one of them went. Well, I'll do that. <laughs> Everyone went. The, all four of them went. Ah, yeah, the guy'll take care of it. Don't worry. Do you, ever, do you remember when he used to play sure touch in training, and all, and three of you all at once would go, "Your man," and he just <laughs> run straight through all three of you. That basically what was that was. was Whatever the French for "your yeah. man" is, they all did that, and through he went. But you know, the, the, you know the the beauty of that try, and I loved it. Right, it was the and I tweeted about it in the week. Is that he? I know he beat a lot of players, but he didn't sidestep once. No, right? Know. It was all you know, like Rapeni Thouthou or um, um, even Brian Abana. They didn't use the step; they'd go round players with little small steps, yeah. without losing small speed. changes of direction. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I tweeted it, and Jeffy Jonathan Davis replied, and he went, "You don't lose any speed when you sidestep. No, you don't, John." <laughs> Because right, you're one of the best rugby players of all time. Normal people. He's lose a talented speed. man, Jiffy, but he's not a physicist. He's not a physicist, is he? He's a physicist. <laughs> so I replied and said, "Yeah, that's not how normal people are." Yeah. So it's you know it, it was a fantastic try. We used to back back in the day when you used to train as kids. They, I don't think, I don't know they they, they coach it anymore. But you used to get coached how to arc your run. And it used, it. To, it used yeah. to involve bringing one leg, out, one foot over the other as you were running without breaking slight stride. You could, Ellery Hanley was a master at it in rugby league. He used to run yeah. diagonally because he had this arcing and at full speed. People couldn't yeah. catch him. It was incredible. Never lost pace. Yeah, yeah. But it was something like that. What's that, sorry? I was good at that I was as well. Terrible at that. <laughs> I, I, had, I, had I had all the technique and zero pace. Yeah. So I, I looked great, but everyone would catch me anyway. <laughs> And I didn't even look great. Who am I kidding? But it's a, yeah, so, but I mean, what a finish. You talk about grandstand finishes. It's oh, a great yeah. game, actually, top and bottom. Beautiful. I mean, even that right down to, and it comes as the other thing that I've learned this week. You know, I've always had a, a, a sort of difficult relationship with the TMO, Josh. Oh, yes. But what I learned this weekend is that I fucking despise the TMO. <laughs> <laughs> it's finally got there. I can't, I can't hold back anymore. <laughs> It's... That's all I've got to say about it. <laughs> I can't, I can't well, go through it again for the sake of my own mental health. Yeah, I mean, I was going to talk to it in shit, but let's just talk about that Conor Murray try. Yes. And five minutes. And Simon Zebo punching the fucking ball out as well. <laughs> oh, well, the, before we even... <laughs> but five minutes it took for the TMO to decide whether or not Conor Murray's try should be given. Now... Right. <laughs> 
<coughs> they did get it right in the end, but we played 28 minutes of the match at that point. So that meant that by the time they'd finished deliberating, 17% of a viewer's viewing time had been spent at that point watching replays, waiting for the fucking TMO to make a decision. It cannot be like that. I think I made the point when you tweeted it, Paul. I was buying shares in Saracens when that was happening. <laughs> <laughs> I think I made a point when you tweeted it, Paul, so that yet, yet, obviously accuracy is one benefit of the fucking TMO, but... My point is, is that that kind of thing happens all the time, everywhere else, and is never picked up. So it's either an infringement that should be picked up, or it isn't. And it just feels to me like that it's almost like touch judges in particular, and I'm not blaming them because I think the toll are almost rewarded for who can be the biggest smart ass. Yeah, it's almost like, like I, w- I won't give it because let me just think about four things that I might find that's wrong with it. Yeah. And I, yeah, the and for me, I it don't just have time to look it at. It just normally. makes really fucking bad sport. It really yeah. does. Yeah. You know, I think you're right because it almost like we were talking about uh, Hernandez earlier, where we need a different name for like proper utility backs. I think there are TMO calls and there are ego TMO yes, calls. I agree with that. Oh yeah. yeah. And um, it's, it's difficult to know which ones are which when they're happening, but you definitely get the sense there's a lot of power now. The referees have all the power, right? Yeah. And then then it was given to the linesmen or assistant referees. And now, of course, you've got TMO, who is, well, as an atheist, it's very difficult. He's rugby god. Um, and he's got everything in front of him, isn't he? You know, and... Um, yeah, I think there is a lot of there are a lot of sort of power games at play. I think you're right, Ashley, and you see it on the field. Yeah, and you can see how different personalities handle it differently. And yeah, but even when Nigel's not one... not going with his first call. Even Nigel's going, oh, all right then, you know. And I think two years ago he'd have gone, no, I'm happy with it. And I, and I, I you know, I, I think it's just creeping into even somebody like that. But well, I just think that they, like you say, it's it's. It's a chance for a TMO or even for a, a, a ref or a touch judge who's looking at it on the screen to effectively start enforcing the, all of the laws that are impossible to enforce in real time and at full speed. Do you imagine if you did yeah. that for everything? Imagine yeah. what a game would be like. The game would be I an absolute say, well, shambles. It, well, it's to do with the score, but actually it wasn't in the act of scoring anyway, which is another point. But I, anyway, we've done this so much... Mm. I just wanted to make it's the point boring. that I, I really fucking despise it. Is it is boring. Now. I've had enough. Yeah. Uh, did we learn anything else? Um, yes. I learned um, that the problem with... And this is somewhat related to the, the whole Scarlet's incident at the weekend. The problem mm. with success... Well, the good thing about success is that you get lots more people through the gate. The problem is that you can't guarantee that every new fan that you pull in is not going to be a massive cunt. <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, the scholars got a good, what, 6,000 people through the gates on Saturday. That, that was so don't... blood and mud. I <laughs> Even I winced at the, the, how brazen the use of that word was there. That, but go on. Well, that was like the know. thick of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know. 6,000 people through the gate, go on. Racists, what can you say? Um, yeah, 6,000 odd people through the gates than Scarlet's normally would have got for an average league game on Saturday. And unfortunately, a couple of them, well, a small number of them, appear to be fucking horrible racist shitbags. And that is the problem when, you know, rugby is a welcoming, inclusive sport that welcomes new people in. Um, and it's good that, what you know, we're 
encouraging more people to get into the game. But uh, the problem is that not all of them are going to be nice. And rugby well, has to accept that you're going to... It's an old triage. You can't separate bricks. sport from society. So the more people you get yeah. in, there are people in society who do stuff like that. All you can do is investigate it and deal with it appropriately. You yeah. can't stop it from happening. No. And it, it's unfortunate that, you know, it's coincided with the, you know, biggest game that the Scarlets have played probably, you know, in European terms in... in the last 10 15 years but it's, it's unfortunate it's... that you went on a sort of london radio show on monday morning didn't you and it's the first thing or one of the first things they asked you about yeah it, i i did go on uh on, on... what did they say well it was like oh let's talk about saracens for a few minutes and leinster and you know fair enough london radio station and then it was he was ian stone the comedian ian stone and he basically just went what's all this about racism in in oh, uh, the scarlets this weekend and it was like Oh, and I, I just kind of like it's, it's massive. It's a sh- huge shame that that's overshadowed what should have been a fucking massively positive weekend for Welsh rugby and a historically positive weekend for Welsh rugby because holy shit, we've got a fucking team in a European semi final in a Champions Cup semi final. That's a massive moment for Welsh rugby. That, after a... is, is that the first time that's happened? Um, it's the first time that's happened for a quite a long time. Yeah, Cardiff got to uh, the final, didn't they? The first final. in 2009, yeah. And the Scarlet. Yeah. And the Scarlet, yeah. But, you know, this does not happen very often, and it should be something that everybody in Wales that likes rugby is very pleased about for the good of the game. And instead, for the average, you know, obviously it's the big story because as soon as anything like this happens in any sport, you know, they're straight on it as well. It is because it's newsworthy, but it is just a shame that it's it's overshadowed the game now to a fairly significant degree. And, uh, yeah, fuck those guys. Anything else that you learned, Paul? Um, what did I learn? I, I learned that I don't think Damian McKenzie is an outside half. Um, well, lovely chip to the corner, though, for that try. Oh, it's beautiful. You know, the thing is with him, right, he's amazing to watch. The other thing to remember, he's only 22, which I totally forgotten. I was chatting to, <laughs> I was chatting to Mary Kinsella earlier. He said, oh, he's only 22. And I went, no, he's not. He's about 25. No, he's not. He's 22. Um, kilograms. So, 22 kilograms. And the thing is, right, he's, he's five. I looked at him on the week. He's 5'9", and I think he's about, you know, just touching 12 stone. Which is fantastic when you're 15 because you're, mm. you know, the guys in your channel aren't massive back or forward because you're <laughs> catching the ball in space. But of course, when you're taking a ball at 10, you get a lot of big back or forwards in your channel and locks, and the, you know, the 12's always there. And his error rate, massive. And you know, I'm as you know, I'm a gushing to the point of sick of fancy about super rugby, right? I love it, <laughs> right? And I will not hear anything said about it again, right? Even when tackle completions are under fifty percent, I'll find a reason to say something positive. <laughs> oh. But I know, I know, no, you're not alone. You're not alone. Everyone I know feels the same way. But I love it. Okay, it's like you know, it's the antidote to Northern Hemisphere rugby. But. I, I, I think Damien McKenzie is going to have to make a, a, a call in the next couple of seasons because you can't do that in Test rugby. And you've got, you know, Richie Mwanga underneath him. Well, yeah. not underneath him, sort of alongside him. And then Borden Barrett above the pair of them. So, I, yeah, I think he's going to have to make a call. You know, I don't think you can, I don't think you can be that small and not play a kicking game at 10. If you're going to be going into contact at that size, you're going to end up in trouble. I think as well in terms of the New Zealand fullback berth, that could make him come a cropper ultimately, which it's a shame. 
you know, and I wish yeah. it wasn't the case. When you've got Geordie Barrett, who looks like a... Well, that's the fucking thing, God. isn't it? He looks, looks like a brontosaurus. Geordie Barrett is just under Hadley Parks in my man crush list. <laughs> <laughs> just. And where's Ben Smith in all this, both in Paul's man crush list and in the... Oh, right, indeed, Paul's yeah. Order. It's not like the struggle, well, is it? Crush, yeah, it, yeah, it's all very close. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I don't. It's embarrassing for them, really. They should definitely share their talent with the rest of the world because it's yeah. not fair at all. But yeah, you do look at Mackenzie. That's and why think, I hate Super Rugby. It's, it's, as an international rugby fan, it's depressing. Because <laughs> you just it doesn't look like international rugby, does it? That's yeah, difference. but it's also that thing that, that you think, oh well, he's retiring and he's retiring and he's retiring. So actually, oh well, actually, they could be not so good for a couple of years, and then <laughs> somebody comes off the bench for the Hurricanes, and you're like, oh, for fuck's sake, who's he? <laughs> who's that brilliant bastard for fuck's sake? Yeah. It's like severe step cousin. They go, oh, this is another severe. He's nine foot. <laughs> Like, you can do the hundred in eight point two seconds. Yeah, and he's got nine arms. And Adidas flanker boots, yeah. Fucking <laughs> flankers, exactly. Anyway, yeah. did you learn anything else before we move on? Uh, I learned one thing, and that is domestic rugby in America, right? Might actually be taking off this time. It might actually work. Explain. Major oh, League Major League Rugby, the new uh, professional rugby tournament in America, has kicked off at last, and in uh, in Utah. This weekend, uh, they got atten- attendance of over nine thousand at, uh, at their game, uh, which is a, a new record for domestic attendance in America. So <clears throat> maybe, I mean, they've had so many fucking false dawns. They had a false dawn last year, but then they, they the whatever the they hell they called that domestic rugby tournament they tried last year that went to the wall. They were getting like seven, eight hundred people. Pro to rugby, their wasn't it, or something like that. Pro rugby, that was it. They had like yeah. Mills Muliaina played on a park with three people in a Labrador yes. watching. Literally yes. a park. It was literally, yeah, literally a park, but literally with it with a hundred to two hundred people watching. But this is like A, it's properly all the way across America and B Is the Utah game... team called the Utah Saints? Uh, no, it's the Utah. There. It's God, unfortunately, a yeah, that is a massive, massive error. They've, um, but yes, they've. If they can, you know, if ten thousand people turning up to a rugby game would be a good shout in Britain. So, if they can get attendance, you know, they're not going to get them every week. But if they can get those sort of attendances a couple of times a season, that's got to be a good thing for the sport over there. I saw Utah Saints at Cardiff yes. Arms Park. Supporting U2 on the Zoo Roper Tour in 1993. I think I'm going back to the support acts were Utah Saints and Stereo MCs. It doesn't get more 90s than that, than that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's uh, rough for 90s. <laughs> isn't it? It Stereo is. MCs. Brilliant. Make sure you're do you connected. Still, do you know they're two? They're still technically going. Which ones? Utah Saints. Are they? Are they still they wearing are. that coloured spiky wigs? Sampling, sampling uh, Slayer. Wikipedia, Wikipedia says years active 1991 to present. Yeah, defy so, active. Anyway, moving yeah. on. What's They've your target a... audience? How old are they? Well, I, you know what? That's one of the things we'll I, I genuinely have no idea. But they somehow yeah. They'll be we'll typing in Utah now and finding it at Mormons. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out by the response to this segment. Although, <laughs> if, given the positive response we've had to all of our services chat, I imagine that our, our demographic may yeah. be slightly... Our old Venn diagrams are a very, very complex thing. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, it's been wonderful having you here. 
Indeed. Thank you for this little trip through our strange world with us. And uh, we will no doubt touch, be in touch with you again. And we'll let you go. Cheers, mate. Ta-da. Guys, thank you so much. A pleasure as always. I'm off to finish my skinny lager. <laughs> Good <laughs> man. Always pleasurable. Take care. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna, talking to people who stand up, speak out or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. So thank you, Paul, for your time. Let's move on to some oh serious wow. ructions in the shit watch world. Wow. Now, we're not talking yeah. about the challenged cup here. Oh, no. Because that's oh, the new no. one, which we all know about. We're going right back. For those of you who are new to the pod, I know there are a few, this <clears> is the <throat> bit where we've had a long-running competition of chasing a, a trophy that we invented all around the place. It yes. ended up in Krasnyar in Russia. It was yes, called the Cup. They... It still is called the Cuthbert Police on Cup. We decided to let it go there, recreate a new one called the Challenged <laughs> Cup, which is currently held by the Dragons. We're not talking about that now. No, We're going back to original. We have some, C, some CPC news. As you, as you said, Lee, Krasny Yar, Russian champions, um, took hold of the CPC um, when they, they lost to London Irish uh, in the, the mm-hmm. Challenge Cup this season. And we thought, oh, bollocks. Because <clears throat> effectively, that meant that it was going to disappear into Russia, where Krasny are the best team. And they beat everybody, distance, yeah. And they beat everyone. So basically, they would instantly beat someone, and then it would start going around all of the teams in the Russian league. And the odds of it ever getting out again were probably quite because it would basically involve somebody having to go to. It would have to go to one of the Russian teams who play in Europe, and yeah. then they'd have to beat someone. Yes. While holding so it, we had no hope. We basically or said, so we thought. Well. And there's many times that we've thought we knew what the CPC gods had in store. And once yeah. again, it's changed a bit. But go on. So, yeah, uh, listener and, and clearly keen CPC <laughs> devotee Paul Johns got in touch and alerted us this week to the fact that Krasny played a game this weekend. Yeah. Against the British Army. I think it was last weekend, actually. Last week, sorry, yeah. Yeah. And they won. <laughs> so, has the CPC unexpectedly somehow found itself in the hands of Her Majesty's Armed Forces? I'm saying yes. I'd love to say oh, yes. Oh, come on! I'd fucking love to, because it would be so mad. But, as great as it would be, throughout the life, you know, rules are the rules. And we've always discounted friendly matches in the past. And I looked at a match report today on the Army Rugby website. It's not like we're not taking this seriously, people. Go on. And and it was described on the Army web it was described on the Army website as it was a warm up game um for the Army ahead of their inter services matches coming up 
and also it was described as a pre-season game on the Krasny website ahead of their season opener against Ainsley. <sighs> I really want it to be. Yeah, but the <laughs> army have then gone on to beat Mosley 50 points to nil, so it could yes, now be rattling around National Division 1. It could be, but I just, I genuinely, in my heart... I never heart, had you down as an ideologue, Josh. I know. I, I, nobody wants this to be <laughs> in the currently in the hands of fucking Mosley more than me. But we've always discounted friendly matches and preseason games before. And for me... Well, ladies and gentlemen, I expect this will be the most controversial thing we've uh, ever done. I, I, I fully expect people to be very angry Now, you see, this. normally on, on lots of things on this podcast, I can overrule Josh. <clears throat> However, on yes. this one, I cannot because he no. created the CPC. I did. So therefore, it's his thing. So he, he gets to make the, the rules. rules. Yeah. Um, however... If you wish to make a compelling case to me why this was not just a pre-season friendly for either of these teams, if you can tell me that this match meant something more than a, a, a pre-season run-out mm. to either of these teams, then I will happily say, yes, Her Majesty's Armed Forces also, in amongst all of their myriad other awards, trophies, battle standards, etc. also held the Cuthbert Police on Cup for a week. Nothing would give me greater pleasure. So, yeah. So, over yeah, to you, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Prove me wrong. You know, this is in your hands now. Believe me, nobody's mm -hmm. batting for me for, for this more than me. <laughs> in fact, I may set up some kind of dummy Twitter account and write very long prose-threaded Twitter thread <laughs> at Josh just to try to convince him. But I think you might guess it's me. So. Maybe. So, yes, please let us know your thoughts. I think I know which way this is going to go. You're going to get spammed to fuck. Oh, yeah. There's going to be a pile on like you've never known. Right-click, mute thread. <laughs> so there you go. That is the original shit watch, the Cuthbert Police on Cup, which has been cruelly and wantonly stamped all over by Josh. I, I, I mean, I did make the rules, but yeah. I, I, don't, I also don't make the rules. So <laughs> so we'll see what happens with that one. Challenge Cup will be on next week again when uh, the Dragons are back in action. Oh, yes. Let's move on to shit good, shall we, and finish off this uh, little caravan this week. Uh, Shit-wise, have you got mm. anything we haven't already talked about? We've sort of talked about one thing that's shit, right? And this isn't. This is kind of rugby-related. April Fools oh. are shit. Particularly, oh, right, April Fools jokes in inverted commas that are effectively just clickbait masquerading as jokes in order to pull traffic in by saying something that's totally not actually funny, but is case two ones that I rugby related ones that I saw mm. yesterday, i.e. we recorded on the, or the day before, yeah, whenever the fuck April the 1st was, uh, well, I it saw was one Sunday. Was it Sunday? Good. Uh, I, saw I had Owen a ticket Farrell. to see Toto and couldn't go. <laughs> Were they down in Africa? They were down in the Royal Albert Hall, but I'd have been down in Africa if I'd have been there. But yeah, go on. Um, Owen Farrell has been sacked by Saracens. Yeah, I saw into that a fight one. With yeah. Cole, saw that one. And I also saw Eddie Jones as A fight with Alex Anderson, it was. Uh, yes. Uh, and I also saw Eddie Jones as quit England to go and coach Australia. Yeah, then didn't Matt Williams, the Leicester coach, react to that very badly? Yeah. <laughs> and right, and because exactly, the, you know, these are reputable. One was Ultimate Rugby, the other one was something else. You know, these are reputable rugby websites. Like, I don't. If you want to do an April Fool, 
Make it a really stupid one. Yeah, it has to be borderline believable in a funny sort of yeah. way, doesn't it? Like they yeah. invented a new boot which can, I don't know, make you yeah. go faster or something. I don't know. Like, oh, you know, Ronan Agara's got, like, toe cancer. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's just an April Fool. No, it's fucking really horrible. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. Owen Farrell's been sacked. That's not a fucking joke. Yeah, that's not a fucking joke. His, his mum might have seen that. <laughs> you know, it's it's just fucking... Just, well, they all they know that these things aren't funny. They're just like, oh, look, I bet we can get fucking shitloads of traffic when people who don't realise this is an April Fool fucking send it around the internet. Ugh, you know who you dickhead. are. Yeah. What shit have we got from Twitter? Tony Sylvester got in touch and he said, <laughs> at Blood and Mud, he said, shit is Ryanair's ongoing ability, ably assisted by Stansted Airport, to bollock up all rugby fans attempting to get to opposition territory, even when travelling a day in advance. Apparently lots of Toulon fans were affected by this. Ryanair. Classic stuff. I bet they were very apologetic and totally accepted what they did. Oh, wrong, yeah. <laughs> They're notoriously really good at customer service, aren't they? And to- Tom, Tom Gorman got in touch. He said, shit, is is setting up a second Twitter account to see what all this Stephen Jones chat is about, only to find the selfish prick has protected his account now. <laughs> There's been loads of Stephen Jones chat. I think Sam Roberts came on, who's great on Twitter, by the way, came on yes. and said um, he just realised he's blocked. He doesn't know why. Because <laughs> the first time he tried to interact with him, I got, I know why I'm blocked, because I said that when Kyle Eastman got called up to an England squad, I bet Stephen Jones' moustache has just exploded. <laughs> and he blocked me immediately. And ca- called me an amateur and blocked me immediately. He is a, a remarkable dickhead on Twitter, isn't he's he? He's unbelievable. Like... Unbelievable. <laughs> and also, he's really mean. Like, uh, <laughs> similar, similarly, yeah. similarly shit, at Vanga4 uh, said, shit Stephen Jones for telling a man to have plastic surgery despite looking like a bullfrog poorly spliced with Jeremy Clarkson's DNA. <laughs> I like that one, Van Gogh, good man. In a grossly underfunded biolab in the hope of finding a cure oh, for a man who has mastered irony before understanding its definition. That is an excellent... <laughs> and also, and for being a joyless, arrogant, horrible word that I said earlier. Um, yes, he's... Um, honestly, honestly, that he's... Like, do you think I came, he's basically I'm, under duress on here? I don't get it. I think he's obviously told by his paper he has to go on. But then any kind of interaction, he simply will not talk. He thinks everybody's opinion, who isn't maybe a journalist with time served, like him, a journalist. Is completely yeah. below him. Loads I of journalists are. are blocked by him. Loads of people yeah. who like work for Sky Sports and everything are blocked by him. It's he's incredible. Like, it's just, he's baffling. He genuinely like. And then you look at people who, who somebody, a person who somebody, lots of people do think is a bit of a wanker when he's on the telly and stuff. Uh, Stuart yeah. Barnes, who's actually good value on Twitter. He's it fine must on be Twitter. Said. He takes it he all was, in good he heart. Was being, he... he was being horrible to Stuart Barnes as well. <laughs> like, just yesterday, he was being, like, he said something along, I can't even remember what he said, but, like, he, like Stuart Barnes said something vaguely controversial, and he was just, like, a, a prick to him. And then... <laughs> I just he, he he wrote a piece about the Romania thing. I can't remember what he said, but then a tier one and tier two rugby account basically said that's factually incorrect because actually he plays centre or and actually that's the wrong capture for Tonga or something capture team. To which Stephen Jones's response was, "We consider this to be defamation, and the Times legal team have fact checked this. You have got till three until o'clock today to take that take tweet down." down. Otherwise, your feet won't touch the floor, young man. Yeah. Or something. That, it was that, was, that was it. I just found it. Stuart Barnes says, anybody else thought Dan Carr oozed pure class off the bench today? 
calm it down, Stu. But <laughs> yeah. and Stephen Jones, Stephen Jones's just reply was one word: no. Fuck <laughs> off! And then somebody said, "Well, what did you think then?" And his response was, "Don't know." Was watching Spurs three-one, <laughs> and like that is an issue for me there, in that for a man who is one of this country's foremost rugby journalists, on an afternoon where the reigning European champions who are an English team and he writes for an English newspaper were playing the best team in Europe in the landmark fixture of the weekend. He didn't say a fucking word about rugby all day and spent the entire afternoon tweeting about football. I think the thing is he just writes columns now, doesn't he? I don't think he's not he's yeah. not doing reporting anymore. He just, he's, thing, just... he's not in but that's like surely as any as a like as a person who claims to be an expert on rugby and a rugby journalist, you would watch the biggest game of the rugby weekend, one of the biggest club games of the season by a country mile. And you would maybe watch that ahead of watching a game of football. And yet. <laughs> and yet he's not the only like professional rugby journalist I saw yesterday, on Sunday rather, who said absolutely fuck bugger all about the Champions Cup quarterfinal between Saracens and Leinster because they were too busy tweeting about Spurs and Chelsea. Now I get it, I like other sports as well, but mm. if, it's your, if it's your job and you're claiming to be an expert on these things, maybe you should be watching the fucking games. Here's a thought. Anyway, that's got, I, I got onto a little bit of a rant there, didn't I? But uh, you did you? Yeah. I, I could have dropped the Steve. I could adopt the Stephen Jones persona now and just say, "Well, that's just your opinion, you fucking non-entity." <laughs> you could have gone and no, then turn your microphone off. off. Yeah, have plastic <laughs> surgery or whatever. <laughs> I don't get it. Like, it don't be on Twitter. Don't be on Twitter or accept that people are going to disagree with you all I, the fucking I think time. I finally got blocked by him when I made I made a comment to him about he was on the Lions tour in 2013. That's when I got blocked. Mm. And he basically just like ranted around. It's like seriously, mate, you're like on tour in Australia doing something yeah. that every and you you just seem like the most miserable bastard in the entire world. Well, I remember when I used to read his columns in Rugby World and thought, fucking hell, what a miserable, clueless fucker sometimes <laughs> he is. And little did I know that he was actually coming across like that thanks to a fucking incredible job by an editor who was toning down what an absolute. <laughs> Our soul he was, by some degree. Apparently. These are the kind of people that win awards, Josh. Not us. Not anybody else <laughs> who's in. You know. Well, if that's if fucking. As soon as you go, I've got my trophy cabinet's bigger than yours. You've lost that argument. He always me. counts the followers and talks about his awards. That's just a sure sign of an absolute colossal wanker, basically, isn't it? <laughs> and yet, uh, it's baffling. It is. And yet, baffling. sometimes he turns out some decent stuff. His stuff about allegation was reasonable. Does, you know. I mean, he's obviously he's obviously not a decent. Writer, he's made a fucking living out of it. But anyway, yeah, enough on Steve. He knows his stuff, but it's just stop, stop lowering yourselves to this shit. Which is like, come sake. off Twitter. I don't understand. If you <laughs> you don't <laughs> get it, so why are you on here? Yeah. Why not just give your phone number to people who you want to speak to <laughs> and start a WhatsApp group with them? Yeah. Rather than just blocking yeah. everybody on Twitter. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> have you got any more shit? Yes. Or you're all worn yeah. out now. Claremont. <laughs> oh. Remember when they were good. Hey, they've got a relegation battle to look forward to, at and least. Nilled by Toulon last week. Abs- battered at home by fucking Racing this week. And they won't be in the Champions Cup this season, next season now. Can you fucking imagine that? A Champions Cup without Clermont. 
The yeah, wheels are Having said that, it might be easy to get tickets for a Challenge Cup game over there. That's <laughs> I'll tell bet, you what. That, that, yeah. That's a better yeah. bet. I fancy that. Yeah. Marcel Michelin for a... Uh, Fantastic. The nearest Trudy's. airport that's easy to get to is fucking in Lyon or something, and it's miles away anyway. Yeah. Anybody well. out there know the easiest way to get to Claremont? Yes. Google that <laughs> Please advise us. us. Yes. Any more shit? Uh, no, I think I'm done with shit. Right, what have we got that's good? Will Gaines got in touch on Twitter and he said, good, we've seen Scarlets win a game not from their flashy all-court game by, but by controlling the game even though clearly not the best. Hopefully a sign that they are ready to take the take that step, that next level step, question mark. Is he asking us that question? Are you asking us that question, Will? Um, I certainly hope so and I think if that performance can be repeated then I agree. But we'll have to see yeah. it repeated a bit more often, i.e. probably in Dublin in a few weeks' time. So... Indeed, and and I think it's it's you never know with with teams like the Scarlets because they can be very hot and cold. But it did feel like a bit of a watershed, didn't it? It was something different that we haven't seen before. Let's put it that yeah. way. Um, uh, other goods goods from me. I mean, we've talked about it. Mm. Dan Levy. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. He's so good. Oh, so good. One of the person we haven't talked about, I don't think we've talked about him at any point in like in any kind of detail. But James Simon Ryan, Hammersley, no, James <laughs> Ryan, James Ryan, right? Oh, he was magnificent. Yeah, but well, he was magnificent in the Six Nations. And he's magnificent. Yeah, and he's magnificent. He has never lost a game of senior rugby. Is, is he a Toji esque in that yeah. stat? He must be, mustn't he? He's yeah, a new, I, yeah. It's I don't know how how many. The, Senior appearances he got now. He's got ten appearances for Leinster and eight caps for Ireland. So he's played eighteen games of senior rugby and he's not lost one. He looks pretty special. He does. How old is he now? When you throw twenty-two or something, twenty-one, ridiculous like that. Uh, Let's find out. He is twenty-one years old. You absolute bastard. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So he made his debut in September and he hasn't lost a game since. Interestingly, Kevin Heaney got in touch and said to jump back to shit. He said shit was a standing item of Marowatoji. It's almost like he's there's only so much young, powerful, unbelievable, world-beating second rower like mm. power to go around, and he gets passed between hosts. And it's obviously left Itoji, been blown across the channel and landed a uh, slap bang in James Ryan's uh, ears. Yeah. Oh, James Ryan was one of those I didn't realise. James Ryan was one of those rare people who made his uh, international debut before he makes it, made his provincial debut. Played for Ireland on the you know, tour in the summer. That, nothing, sma- he... nothing smacks of look look how good he looks in training more than that, does it? <laughs> Obviously, lots of people are watching him and going, oh, Jesus Christ, this <laughs> lad's good. Yeah. Christ, he's good. <laughs> um, but let's, yeah, and let's not forget they got Tony Byrne as well in there. Coming in. And, and yeah, and Ian Henderson, yes, and Alton Delon to come fit again. Who oh yeah, I I really like, and I don't know what's happened yeah. to him. Did he get yeah. injured? Uh, yeah, I think he's he's had a few injuries, but fucking hell. And the screaming skull, Ghost Rider. Yeah, he's not going anywhere anytime <laughs> soon. He's going nowhere. Well, not without people noticing. Put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have a very very like long cloak. <laughs> Yeah. And then that would just make it more conspicuous, wouldn't it? So... <laughs> and he'd also look even more like Nosferatu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, what else have we got that's good? 
uh, Kevin Heaney also said that Dan Levy, Chris Ashton, we've not talked about Chris Ashton. Yes, just scores tries, just all he does. That, you know, nothing new here. Those beautiful running angles, the timing mm-hmm. he picks them and where he goes, the line towards the post he always runs. It's really not that complicated. Why don't more people do it? Yeah, and yet, and yet here we are again talking about it. And that's us finishing talking about it. Have you got anything yeah. else? Um, one, one, one thing that just made me quite happy this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, Ross Moriarty right. was back, back playing yes. for Gloucester for the first time in ages. And lo and behold, he looks an absolute fucking menace again. He's fuming. Yeah, He'll be, he's, he's been watching a, the videos of his performances in the Six Nations. And yeah, he's he fucking looked, fuming. He looked so angry. And it is great news for fans of absolute bastards. Because he was back to his bastardy best. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is that. Yeah, what better note to end it on? For another week. Angry Ross Moriarty. We have plans afoot for the Patreon page. We by do. The way. We're going to record some stuff that you will get as a special bonus when you. Yeah. If and when. Well, some of you will get. Some of you yeah. will get. Those yeah. of you who deem us worthy uh, to hand over some of your hard earned will get some special bonus stuff straight off the bat. And uh, keep your eyes open for that. Thank you very much for listening. This will remain free. I keep making that point that the weekly one will remain free. Cheers, Josh. Thanks to Paul who's not here, and we'll speak to you all soon. Take care. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.